Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin. And for today, we have a returning guest. His name is John Gribben. He is the CEO of the Curable app. It's a, one of the very few apps uh, related to chronic pain that I actually go out and re recommend. Uh, and we have a very interesting discussion today. But John, would you just briefly tell people what your pain journey is and how you became interested in pain and the science of pain? Certainly. And uh, just to say, Dr. Kevin, it's great to be back on the show. Um, I enjoyed our conversation last time and uh, happy to be chatting with you again. Well, thanks for coming back. I, uh, so I, I, I got my first twinge of back pain when I was 19 uh, in college. Uh, and it was, um, you know, something that started bothering me more and more. Uh, and finally, I went to see an orthopedic surgeon at the time and uh, got an MRI done and was diagnosed with a herniated disc, which I, of course, saw, you know, with my own eyes mm -hmm. on a scan <laughs> in this doctor's office. And, uh, you know, he asked me if I had gotten, if I had sustained any injuries or what had happened in recent times. And uh, I couldn't think of anything. And so he started kind of going farther and farther backwards. Well, what about when you were 18? What about when you were 17? What about in early high school? And finally, I just pulled something out of the air, which was true. But in early in my early days of high school, so maybe 14 or 15, I got in a car accident. And I suggested that to this orthopedic surgeon. And he said, that is definitely it. And that is what has caused this herniation. It's just now, you know, you're just now starting to feel it. Um, but you need, you know, you're probably going to need surgery. Um, but we'll start you on PT in the meantime. And so that kind of began my my. Uh, pain journey. I uh, did physical therapy for months and months, which then ended up being years and years off and on, um, and tried every other thing that one can try ex aside from surgery. Never never um, got surgery on my back, but steroid injections and uh, massage therapy and acupuncture and all types of things. And this is all through my 20s when I'm, you know, otherwise should be and was otherwise healthy, uh, my back was just this source of agony um, and and anxiety and, and a lot of other feelings around it. Uh, so now we fast forward into uh, my 30s and back still kind of the, my biggest health issue, my back. Um, and I was encouraged by my wife uh, to go back in uh, and, and get it looked at. And this time I went to Northwestern Hospital. I was living in Chicago and got another MRI done. And this time was diagnosed with degenerative disc disease. And again, I'm looking at the scan. I have this highly educated physician telling, or orthopedic surgeon again, telling me, look at the degeneration. You know, you basically have a 90 year old's back. And I was 30, whatever, at the time, 33. Um, and I remember feeling that day walking out of Northwestern Hospital and uh, that the degenerative disc disease, you know, the word disease was terrible for me, uh, but what really impacted me was the word degenerative, degeneration, that mm -hmm. it was only going to get worse um, after that day. And that day, it was pretty darn terrible. So here I am at 33 thinking, this is the best I'm going to feel for the rest of my life and my back. And I was feeling pretty bad. Uh, so... It was about another, you know, more PT, more um, massage, more everything. Um, and it was another year or so uh, until someone, a friend of mine, I had a huge back blowout after what now I look back on was a very stressful life event of purchasing our first home and moving into it. But I didn't connect the two at the time. I just thought it was my moving, you know, moving boxes into this new house, blew my back out. But after this major episode, um, I was walking with a friend of mine and he told me about um, the, the books written by uh, Dr. John Sarno. I don't know if you've spoken about Sarno on, on your show, Kevin, but um, you know, he was a doctor at NYU and he had done a lot of observational work, um, not hardcore research, but observational work in his rehabilitation clinic at NYU that there was some kind of connection between the mind and the body when it came to back pain and when it came to, to persistent, you know, chronic pain. And I uh, wrote books, I wrote a few books on this that became kind of had a cult following. And my uh, friend, 
told me about this book. And um, I, I, like honestly, during this walk with my friend giving me the cliff notes of of Dr. Sarna's books, I started to not necessarily like feel better fit, you know, swift symptom wise, but I certainly gained a lot of confidence, the fear in my pain reduced. And I thought to myself for the first time in 15 years, maybe, you know, if this, if this, if these books are right, if my friends write, if this is, if this is really what's happening, maybe there will be a time in my life where I'm not feeling this way in my back. And um, I started doing my own research and, you know, Sarno wrote these books a long time ago. And, and a lot of the, the neuroscience research, not necessarily proved Sarno right, but in, it, it has proven a parallel, um, you, you know, parallel concepts to be true in that the brain really does play an outsized role in persistent pain. The central nervous system does. So I started researching this myself and, um, and started to get better, started to heal through learning, um, through confidence, uh, you know, through working through my own kind of, um, the issues in my mind that we all have. Um, and, uh, and, and can say, you know, probably could say maybe six months after the start of my journey that, um, that I was feeling, you know, I would say 95% pain-free in my back. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and there's so many, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've heard the story, but being able to pull out distinctive things, because this actually ties in directly what we're going to be talking about today, uh, which is the messaging around pain. Um, because with Curable, obviously, you guys have a fantastic mission, but you're also a business. And so marketing and messaging are key to you know, generating leads and generating revenue for your company, uh, no matter no matter what type of company, if you can be, you know, there is no, you have to have some sort of source of income in order to have a company. There is not a company, um, but that messaging around pain can have such a huge impact on both our current pain, but also future pain. And the reason I want to discuss this is because even just looking at your story. And uh, so we go back to your your uh, your your an inciting event, right? You had this episode of back pain when you're 19 years old, and then I'm listening to this, knowing what I know now, and I'm like, well, what is the story that was told to you, and what was the messaging around your pain? So, uh, and w- what was the impact on that? So, things like uh, the, the the orthopedic surgeon trying to quote unquote find the cause. There has to have been something that caused this, right? And and then I use a term, or I, I call it pain pus, which is sort of a ridiculous term, but it re- kind of reinforces this ridiculous notion that pain is oozing out of these things or out of structures. So they're looking for the pain pus generator, which would be this 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 herniated disc, and um, not it, it, it's just interesting. So I, I'm kind of curious if you can go back in time just to to that to that initial episode. And this is hard, but do you remember, I mean, do you think the story was set for you at that moment in time by what they said, that, that there was a meaning to your pain that was, that had an impact on your future episodes of pain? I absolutely do. I, I don't think, you know, again, like you now looking back um, with a lot more knowledge uh, in my head than mm-hmm. I did as, had at the time and kind of, you know, figuring out what, <laughs> where it all went wrong, I would say that. I don't think you can have 15 years of back pain unless you got the wrong message mm-hmm. somewhere along the line. You know, I think that those are just intimately tied together. And, and I think it probably did start um, at the, the initial physician's office where I was looking at uh, a disc that didn't, that looked, that was, you know, told to me look different than it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this visual evidence. And then, and then a, um, you know, uh, an expert, a highly educated expert who, who I respected, and, and I, I know this doctor still, and continue to respect, um, say that you know, kind of tr- trace it back with me and, and identify this event, this accident that occurred, um, that was the cause of it. And you know, as a 19-year-old, I would say even if you're a 59-year-old, but as a 19-year-old. I, I, who was I to say that he was, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then held on to that belief, truly held on to that belief for, for 15 years. 
And, and that's one of the issues with the messaging about this is because when it comes to pain, the things that most easily make sense um, don't actually make sense with the science. Or, or when you poke, they're like, a, like, a, like, like a, an opinion in a lot of ways that once we start to investigate it or to even to start questioning it, it falls apart relatively quickly. Um, but most of us won't, we don't even question it because in that moment in time, it seems to make sense. Like, oh, herniated nuclear disc, it oh, makes sense. That's where my pain pus is oozing from. The, the difficulty though being, and obviously you at 19 wouldn't know this, but from a, from a medical perspective, what we should know is then if that is true, then what about the counter? What about the people running around with herniated discs with absolutely no pain? And mm-hmm. so, and, and there's, so really this thing that seems to make sense actually doesn't make sense when we start to examine a little bit more critically, but, but because of that messaging and, and the ease of, of, of an explanation, we don't ever challenge those, those kind of those, those initial belief patterns that get set around pain. Yeah. And, and it would, you know, there is no point in my 15 year journey with pain where anybody else suggested otherwise Mm -hmm. so so not only you know we're not attributing blame. i'm I'm not trying to attribute blame here for my own pain to uh, offload that blame to you know healthcare providers that i had contact with along the way but it wasn't just the initial orthopedic surgeon it was everybody else i came in contact with along the way physical therapists massage therapists um anesthesiologists you know, I was, the pain had been migrated to my shoulder. Um, and I went in again and orthopedics said I was going to have to get rotator cuff surgery. So it was reinforced over and over, or if not reinforced, no one was contradicting what I had learned at 19. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's not, um, I think it's, it's yes. The science is does contradict what I learned at 19. Yes, you and I know that. Yes, I'm guessing a lot of your your uh, podcast listeners uh, know that as well. But um, you know, there are a lot of folks who don't, and especially you know, this is 15 years ago now. Um, there were few, even fewer people who had this knowledge then, uh, and so no one no one righted my ship along the way or helped me learn until <laughs> my buddy Tony, you know, in a walk one time in Maine, kind of opened up this new path for me. And, and, you know, that, that changes the message as well, because, uh, and I think we may have talked about this in our first episode too, but, you know, what, it's, it's, you look at these encounters and how it changes the messaging around your own personal experience of pain. And for your, you know, you mentioned it's your, it's your friend. So it's someone mm-hmm. that you have trust in, that you feel safe mm-hmm. with, that had a similar, um, you could identify with, because I think you said they had back pain and then they read Sarno's book and had improvement with that. So there was a trust aspect to it. Is it, am I, am I remembering that correctly? They had right. a similar yep. episode. Okay. Absolutely right. Yep. And then the other interesting thing um, was as that message changed, again, you know, I was again listening to you talk about this, is here you have someone who's validating your experience, now providing a different message and meaning with it, meaning and now instead of the degenerative disc disease, which is a horrible disease and should be, it should, or I should say a horrible description and should be eliminated from the medical terminology right uh but but now we have an an alternate message that's being overlaid onto that and you mentioned that even during that walk you started to feel improvement at at least you felt fear being reduced which is key for pain which we'll probably not get into this in this episode per se um and that your confidence improved and it also sounded like now you had hope because the message is starting to change Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that what um what you just kind of said in there as well was also critical is that, you know, my friend acknowledged my back pain. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't saying, hey, you know, this is, you're, John, this is nonsense. I don't know why <laughs> you feel back pain considering that it's your brain all along. Um, that was not the message. The message was, man, I'm feeling for you. You, you know, you're not looking like you're, you're, <laughs> you're walking funny, you know, um, and I, and I've been there and I know this, I know how, what back pain feels like. Um, and I'm, I was sorry to hear 
that you had back pain last week. And that's how he started the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so right away, I'm feeling, all right, I'm feeling heard here. This guy knows what I'm going through. And, um, and so what came next when I, you know, I was, I was receptive to what came next. I was receptive to hearing that there might be a different um, way to think about it. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if I would have, you know, he just, the, the tricky part about the communication, uh, top, the, this topic that we're talking about of communication, the trickiest part is that I don't know if anybody has it mapped out perfectly because if they did, I would, I think we'd be seeing a lot more success with the dissemination of this information. I don't think anyone has it just like totally like, and if you say this and then this mm-hmm. and then this, and then if the, if the recipient responds this way, do X, if they respond this way, do Y, if they respond this way, do Z, then back to, you know, some kind of like flow chart of communicating. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think it, or at least as far as I know, no one's mapped that out yet. Um, and the reason why is that there are so many uncontrollable, unknown factors. You know, I might've just been ready in that moment to hear what my friend had to say. I might have been far enough removed from the actual acute incident of the pain to be open-minded, but close enough to the incident of the pain to still kind of care about the topic and want to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there could have been so many other factors. It could, it could have taken me 15 years of physical therapy for me to disbelieve that it was a structural issue. You know, so um, it, it, it's, it's hard to, you know, we're doing our best at Curable to, to communicate. And I, we can get into um, we can get into those efforts in detail, uh, but I think it's important to kind of note that even the best communicators on this topic is there, there's not a, a playbook that works every time for everybody. Yeah, and 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 personally, I I think I mean, I'm putting all this as a thought rather than than anything that's substantiated by by data. Uh, I think it, this has to do with with pain is such an individual experience. Like you said, there are so many different inputs that are involved in its construction and how it changes that, you know, at least in this time, we don't have the computing power that can find everything out there. Because, I mean, there could be all sorts of things. Like you just said, it could have been the time of day. It could have been an interaction, something could have been something you heard that made you open to, to hearing this. Because it could have been somebody else with your exact you know, obviously with you, with a similar experience of, or I should say similar sensations that you were having in your back in that moment, in that walk may have had a dramatically different response from the same message that your friend was delivering, depending on something exactly. that was not controlled by your friend. Right. Exactly. Right. And, that, and then you, and then you, we try to now put that burden uh, on healthcare providers, you know, mm-hmm. this has been our experience, Kevin, as you m- may be experiencing with your colleagues in the healthcare medical industry, is there's a lot of belief around this because the science is all sh- is, is showing us over and over and over again that the brain uh, and pain are um, inextricably linked. And so, you know, so the, the, all the research is showing this. Science is showing this, and and I actually do. I'm seeing, I'm hopeful, because I'm seeing that a lot of now providers, primary care physicians, nurse practitioners, um, you know, folks in the behavioral and mental health realms, are are in, in agreement about these ideas around pain, chronic pain, persistent pain. Yet, we're now saying, you know, my friend Tony could have delivered the same message at the same time to another person and it would have had completely different effects than it did on me. And yet we're now at, we're, we're asking our healthcare providers who say even do believe in these uh, concepts to be able to be adept communicators, masters of communication so that their hit rate is, you know, 90% of people they explain it to <laughs> adopt it and get better. You know, that's just a lot to ask. And it's and and you know I think it has a lot to do with the the variability of of the patient and the variability of the of the circumstances. A- absolutely, and I, I do. I want one point of clarification. I just want to insert here, not to totally just jar our our 
our conversation here, but I think it's important to um, that when we're talking about pain and persistent pain, um, at least when it comes from me, I tend to always reinforce that it's not just persistent pain that's the brain's important and it's all pain the brain is important. Agreed. And I think that's important for the listeners to understand because we're talking about messaging and conflicting messaging. And one of the difficulties that I've seen with some of the, you know, all, all that we, we've known, you know, and we go back to, to John Sarno and, and he had some really wonderful observations. But the idea that was either or, I think, did cause some difficulty for other people to have these kind of belief transitions with this. Um, because then it became, well, there must be something physically wrong with me. And then the physical pain pus is oozing out of it, or it's all in my brain and it's, you know, my repressed emotions or whatever. And what I want the listeners to kind of remember here is it doesn't, whatever the pain is, your pain always changes depending on the inputs to the brain, because every single one of us has had what we would call an acute scenario where there may actually be physical damage, but you may have had minimal or no pain at all. And you may have had an episode where you may have stubbed your toe and you were, you, you were screaming in pain. And then you look down or your friends look down and go, your toe, there's nothing wrong with your toe. Even you were convinced it would be bones shattering out of it. Um, and so kind of shifting our mindset a little bit more to thinking about pain in the brain, all pain in the brain, I, I think in some ways, at least to me, and again, nobody's gotten this right, it helps us to sort of transition into adding in those different inputs other than just the physical inputs for understanding. So I just wanted to kind of clarify it in there because sometimes the danger I see with some of these communications is we start just talking about persistent pain and then someone, mm-hmm. someone chooses not to listen anymore because they are, well, uh, my pain is because of osteoarthritis and that's not going to have any, what you're saying has no relevance to me because my pain pus is oozing out of the osteoarthritis. And um, what, that if we change that message, no matter where or who you are in what scenario, the more you understand about pain and how all these inputs come together to construct it, the more empowering it is. And there's things that you can do almost in any situation. So I, I'm sorry that was a kind of a long digression there, but uh, I do think it's important when we're talking about the about the message. Um, a, va- a valid digression. I, you know, I agree with you. The science agrees with you. And I think that maybe let's let's even use what you just said as a point of conversation on on this topic of of communicating. Mm-hmm. In that, I believe that what you just said, while factually and scientifically true, is a little bit more advanced of a concept than me talking about chronic pain and persistent pain. Mm-hmm. And for example, you know curable as a as a as an app product um i think curable is useful for everybody just like you said in acute instances in subacute instances in chronic instances and in, you know the uh, in people who don't even have pain symptoms mm-hmm. they have other types of symptoms chronic fatigue or um you know um digestive symptoms and th- i think curable is applicable to all of that but if you cast the net too wide the the recipient of the message is not going to feel like it applies to them so if you were to come out and say i have have a new idea for an app say it's curable and it's just it applies to all pain it's this brain training and it applies to all pain which is true you're going to get people i would think you're going to get people going you know bs or they would just be like that doesn't apply to me that's you know and so, and, and we've actually, in the, in the early days of Curable, we were testing a lot of different messaging, kind of see, to see what, what took, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and we ended up with, with chronic pain, uh, persistent pain, because it seemed that people could identify with that the best, uh, and it seemed the most believable and, and, and a believable place to start the conversation with, with consumers, you know, um, but I agree with you that, of course, the science and, and I, you know, it, it, it is, tells us that the brain is connected to all pain. So, um, but that's just a, a kind of using your comment as a, as a, um, a point uh, on this idea of communication. Well, and, and, and that is, that's an excellent point, too, because what we're basically saying is the information and I just had to add this in there because I, I am, a, I'm in your, your curable community Facebook group. Um, 
and I, I just kind of ghost through it and I just love to see the comments in there when people are saying, I did this and it's helping this, you know, it's, it's, it, it's helping all these other the things, other right? Stuff. Yeah. It's, and, and, exactly. and I just, it, yeah. I just love it. Right. Cause it's like, yeah, of course. Uh, and then people I've worked <laughs> with in the, in the programs, um, cause I do predominantly clinical education for clinicians and, and people like that. And they're like, you know, I took this information. Now I'm applying it to anxiety and PTSD and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, because you know, this is pain skills or life skills. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but, but being able to very specific in that message is interesting. If you don't hear, if you don't hear it being spoken directly to you, then we tend to ignore it. And I, yeah. I, and I yeah. think that the important thing for this is, is, is another struggle that I think we see is in people who have gone through a process, uh, where now they're learning more about pain and they're starting to see their pain transform. People get excited and then the it's so funny people go through this they get excited they see these 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 changes in themselves they get so they want to learn everything and then um i get these emails and like i i've been trying to talk to my spouse or i try to talk to my friend and they they just won't even listen to me and i think yeah. that that comes down to that messaging again is you you we want it is being able to hear what the individual is saying and then being able to validate and listen to what they're saying and then meeting them where they are, which is the specificity of the message that you're trying to deliver. Um, That's right. And, you know, and, that, and, and then trying to do that for us at Curable, trying to do that at scale, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's one thing to be able to craft a different message for each individual patient that comes through one's door. But if, you know, we have quarter million people visit our website every month at this point and that number with that number growing, how, how do you, how do you, what's the, you know, you need some kind of like, um, you know, average messaging to, <laughs> to capture the middle of the bell curve and just, you know, know that you're not going to get everybody um, with, with what you're saying. Uh, and so trying to do that at scale is challenging. Um, you know, I, I think one kind of note on what you're saying there is, is somebody seeing themselves in what you're saying. Okay, so for example, curable's messaging right now, you know, an app for chronic pain, let's call it that, would have never worked on me, would have never convinced me when I had back pain for 15 years because there was not one day during that 15-year period where John Gribben had chronic pain, Mm -hmm. according to John Gribben. I had back pain. I was a back pain guy, just like the rest of us, you know, Mm -hmm. but back pain guys. I was not, you know... My grandmother had chronic pain. I had back pain. And so Curable, I would have fallen off Curable's messaging. Um, and, and, and yet that's the you know kind of thing that we have found works for the middle of the bell curve. And another kind of point on that is we do a lot of um, online advertising on Facebook and, and, and through Google. And this is just, this is like statistically proven over the years of, of advertising for curable that, you know, we have a lot of ads that offer science, like, look at this science, look at the, it's just all so true that, you know, look at the studies coming out of these prestigious universities, you know, your brain and your body and pain and all these other symptoms. And then we have testimonial Mm -hmm. ads with just someone saying, here's my list of symptoms Here's how I was struggling before. I used the Curable app. Here's how I'm feeling now. Oh, and by the way, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a, uh, you, you know, a hairstylist, or I'm a, and, I mean, as you can probably guess where I'm going with this, overwhelmingly the testimonial ads outperform the science ads because people need to see themselves in it. They go, oh, she resembles me. And if, you know, this makes sense to me now, this is applicable to me. I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow this thread. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just kind of, you know, it's interesting to think about that. that and, and Tony, my friend, Tony, who introduced me to Sarno's books, it's probably, that's exactly probably what we're, what I'm, what I'm talking about here is that Tony resembles me. He's my friend. He has common experiences and, you know, went to similar colleges and have we have mutual friends and our wives are friends and you know we were like kind of the same guy you know and and so if he dealt with back pain in this way i should uh, you know this is this works for me it's, it's going to work for me it's applicable to me 
No, and that that actually circles back to to what you were talking about with the individualness of pain and how difficult the messaging is, um, and for healthcare clinicians in and being able to communicate effectively. Because you're, I I do think you're correct that there's more and more awareness that the that the brain is vital to pain. I think that there's right. again, I still think there's a ton of education that needs to be done. Of course. Yeah, there's still a long way to go. Yeah. It is but, but it's getting better. It's get it is better. You know, I, I always put the caveat is it's so much better now, but the bar was set really low. Uh, exactly. but um but that commun that so you look at where we're traditionally taught in medicine. So you know, we are, we're, we're data driven. We reduce research studies or whatever. Or we want to pull out the study and then the person's in our office and I, and you know, Dr. Kakaro, what, what, what do you need to do? And I can pull out this data, but data doesn't change behavior at all. And so we now for have the, some, you know, for some it does, but not, yes, not the, very, not very the middle good. of the bell curve. I, and I would, I would, it's even, they have to have a reason to look at the data, right? So they have to have, have a relevance to whoever the person is that they just, there you go. Sure. But, um, you, you know, we have this issue with healthcare providers then when it comes to pain, that the messaging is so crucial in that messaging and communication pathway is is not data driven. You can be supported by data, I would say, but it's not data driven. It's more of that, you know, validation, reflection and something uh, having a story that resonates with whoever you're talking with. Um, and that's not a skill set that that medicine's ever taught. So. That's an interesting point. I, that's that's really that's really interesting. Y you know, um, so we have there, there's several hundred healthcare providers who refer who are like on our formal referral program who you know have a link to Curable and refer patients to Curable. And by and large, most of these folks have come to us. We we don't we don't advertise to them. They've come to us organically, word of mouth, and and the and. Uh, the way they come to us usually is from their own patients. They, a patient improves using Curable. They say, hey, doc, you're not going to believe it, but I'm feeling better through this app. And they say, what is this? You know, <laughs> what's the email address? I'm going to get in touch with these folks. And, and what we're seeing with this group of, this growing group of providers that we are connected with is that they're not, they don't email and say, what's your FDA approval status? You know, what, how many um, randomized clinical trials have you run? I mean, some ask for data and we have data, we have plenty of data, but I think, uh, you know, this growing number of them are saying, if this, if I can, if my patients can anecdotally share with me that they like this product and that they are, um, you know, and, and many of them are feeling better then I'm willing to spread the word, you know? So, that's a really interesting thing that you just, the comment you just made about that the training of the best healthcare providers is around data. And that in this realm, uh, it's kind of anecdotal, you know, the, the messaging is a little bit more is softer and fuzzier and more anecdotal. So, um, so that, that puts folks, you know, further providers further behind the eight ball on, on communicating as well. Well, yeah, difficult communication, and and uh, just to add on to that, even though the the that clinicians are supposed to be data driven, um, they're not, unfortunately. Which is why that things that are, I mean, there's so much data that's saying spine surgery should not be done in yeah ninety nine percent of the cases, and yet we do more spine surgery in the United States than anywhere else in the world. So, um, you know, it's it's just kind of funny because we say we're data driven, but we're not data driven. We're, you know, that's even, a good point. Another, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. But I, I would, right about that. I yeah. would say the frustration though, for, from a clinician standpoint is even the ones that are seeing people improve. And I, I guess the other tactic I want to, um, another clarification here is when we're using anecdote to address specific issues, um, it's important if you're a clinician, that your anecdote be based on evidence rather than uh, contrasting evidence. And, and why I'm saying that is, um, you know, we were just saying, well, this anecdote, your patient's getting better. That's great. The, what we would want them to do is then to make sure that the research is aligned with that. And then a second, second or third step for me would also to be say, is this therapy empowering my patient 
to take care of themselves, meaning that they're learning a skill set. And the reason I think this is crucially important to pain is because there's anecdotes of people getting well with all sorts of stuff. You know, take this magic That's herb true. that grows in the Amazon jungle. And because we uh, what we know about the messaging around pain, which is probably outside the scope of this episode per se, um, people can improve. And yes, that improvement would be 100% real because if your pain changes and gets better, that's a real change. But the reason it changed is probably not because of whatever in the, you know, the... The, the active ingredients the, in the leaf from the, the jungle. From yeah. the jungle leaf. But now we have, because we've messaged it, this person is now stuck taking this probably very expensive jungle leaf extract that we've, for the rest of their life because, because they've tied, I call them entrapping beliefs that that's where their pain... That, that's the, the source of their, you know, making their pain better. When, uh -huh. if you look at the evidence, uh -huh. the evidence would not support it. Randomized control struggles would not do it. Um, so I, I just want to add that. Because on the flip side, we can do a physical uh, intervention, say surgery. And so now we're going to do anecdote not supported by evidence. And so the surgeons will say, I know the evidence doesn't show improvement with surgery. But, and it's always the but, I'm different. And my patients get better mm -hmm. with surgery. And then they do, you know, anecdotal practice contrary to evidence. And um, so I, I always want to kind of to somehow <laughs> always get a little bit concerned about this because I want people to understand that when we're, when we're talking about anecdotes as being such powerful communicators and why seeing yourself reflected in and being validated and having someone who looks like you or has a story similar to you have success we also want to make sure that the pathway that they're finding success from actually empowers you to get better rather than to be entrapped to something else or something potentially harmful. Cause there are things out there that are potentially harmful for people. I think that is uh, a, a very important point. And, and if I, if I think about it, what you just said is exactly what our thinking was when we started Curable, the company. We, the anic, so myself and my co, I, I, I didn't tell the story of my two uh, co-founders in Curable. They also suffered a collective two decades of chronic pain, chronic pain symptoms and other non-pain symptoms, you know, um, uh, and they too, then once we all kind of learned these principles and concepts together, um, they too uh, got better. And, and so in that moment of so, so basically, my point is, we were the our own anecdotal stories. We we were, we were the kind of we, firsthand experiences, but they were anecdotes. We didn't know, uh, you know, any. It, it, we felt better. We didn't know anyone else could feel better this way. Until we said, if we're going to start this, we need to make sure that this company is, and this idea is based in science, mm -hmm. and based in kind of what what you know. So that's exactly what we did next too. Was say, okay, work for us. Is there science behind this? Is this what you know people are looking at and into and, and proving um, in traditional ways of with the scientific method? You know, uh, and then of course we can find that a lot of well the research is coming out now and or in the past 10, 15 years it's that's showing this is the, the way forward. Um, and so, and and then it was that last piece of self care, self empowerment. Um, in order to make a business out of this, it couldn't be some, you know, we, we are software people. And so software has its limitations on its, how personalized it can be and how, you know, the, the it's not a human healthcare provider. You know, it, admittedly, the Curable app is not that. And so in order to make a scalable software program, you have to self-empower. We had to, that, that was the, that was the goal. Can we make something that if we put it into the user's hands, they can do the work and they can get better on their own. Uh, that was, that, those were like the initial concepts of when we were, you know, stirring the curable brew in the early days, <laughs> you know, if we can do these things, then, um, then this company is going to be a go, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, Again, a brief aside there, what, what has been a, just a pleasure to me is to watch how your messaging and your science changes, because you guys are also updating your science, which is what we should also be doing, is challenging our own belief systems, growing as we learn more rather than kind of being stuck in dogma. Um, so that we, have, we have, a, we have a, an advantage, though, Kevin, I just to concede that we, 
you know, we don't, there are a lot of folks out there doing their own research and it takes a lot of time. It takes years and um, in some cases and, and so curable has the benefits of being a trans, we consider ourselves a translator, a conduit of information from the ivory towers to the, you know, the folks with pain who, who need this information. And so we have the luxury of, um, you know, standing on the shoulders of smarter people than us doing this research. And then we, what we do is we're, we're the communication conduit. We translate that information into a very consumable, accessible form, foreign format, uh, and then give that directly to people who need it. So, um, so yes, we are, we are always abreast of the modern science and research. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's, I got, I don't want to say easy for us to do, but it's easier for us to do because we, um, are kind of translating the work of others, um, rather than creating science out of thin air. Well, and, and it's also, it's so much about is the messaging that we're, we're discussing, right? So that, that messaging aspect, it becomes, it could be the same tool, right? If we're doing slow, deep breathing and we're decreasing our parasympathetic yeah. outflow, uh, it's how you apply that tool. It's on the messaging, but no one, you, you know, and I think this actually gets into some of the limitations about some of the pain research is people equate the tool with the poor mis, uh, poor understanding of pain and then our research data gets kind of skewed so if we were saying well slow deep breathing is going to cure your pain well slow deep breathing uh, deep breathing has an effect on your parasympathetic nervous system which decreases your distressed body response which change, alters your 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 physiologic uh, reality of your body and there may be an improvement of pain because that's one input into it um but there, but if you amplify that tool by having a general knowledge of pain and stress and why you're doing this to tar you know you're not targeting the breathing against the pain per se, but instead to decrease your stress response. And by doing that, there may be changes with other things, and ultimately your pain may improve. Um, that's a that's a little bit different. What am I trying to say here? It's 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 a different type of application where you where you're trying to find the research that flows what the deep breathing exercise does. And again, I'm just using that as an example. And where, what does that show? What does the research show about deep breathing? And then how does that apply to this construct now of pain? So it's, um, it's a different way to take data and evidence. And I do think it requires a little bit more of an understanding of pain versus sort of this A equals B thing where people are studying one intervention. I'm going to take the magic, uh, magic leaf from the Amazonian jungle, and then we're going to do study on that. And so why does it work? And um, there's a fundamental flaw with that because they're, they're, they're generally have a poor understanding of pain in the first point. And so the, the study of the drug or the study of that, of that leaf may actually be very expensive to do the data behind it. And it's also coming from a place where it doesn't align with the science that we know. And then you already have muddy data uh, when you finally are producing this, this agent. Um, so that was a little bit of a digression, though, because I, I, it there are many studies being done, and there are many studies saying X and Y and Z works or don't work when it comes to pain. Or there are other studies that are saying that uh, the data is uh, mixed depending on what we're doing for pain. And um, my argument for some of that data or the, the challenges that we have around data is what is the the science about pain is wrong in, a, in quite a few studies. And I don't know, I, I think I made a little bit of a digression there, but I just wanted to say what you guys are basically doing is you're taking science, you're applying it through your app in such a way and in, in really identifying like these tools, but then being able to apply the pools in a big picture to a very individualized experience. Like pain, every, mm -hmm. your pain is different than my pain, which is different than, you know, whoever else's pain out there. What we're really trying to find is, is, is specific tool sets that we can apply in certain ways for our individual scenarios um, and then making sure that those tools, you know, are empowering and aligned with, you know, they're not harmful in any way to us. So, Yes. And another, just one more point on, on what you just said regarding data and studies of, of jungle leaves and, and other, and, and, and pharmaceuticals and, and other things is... I feel like the, those, you know, a, a, a lot of the scientific method 
which is wonderful in so many ways, the scientific method. So I'm not, I'm not going to dog the scientific method. It's been a, an incredible tool for knowledge for centuries. Um, but there is a lot of um, kind of black and white approach to that. There's, a, there's like binary outcomes, like take this pill and then we are going to measure if, a, if this benchmark was achieved. When my, our view of, especially when it comes to pain, is that everything's gray, everything's on a spectrum. The individual's uh, circumstances and needs are on a spectrum. The benefit that an individual can receive through a brain-first approach is on a spectrum. Um, and another thing is that I don't actually believe there is a cure for chronic pain. I personally don't have back pain uh, anymore. But I should, I should really say I don't have back pain that much anymore. You know, and, and even if I didn't have back pain at all anymore, there'll be pain sprouting up somewhere in my neck and my knee and my toe. Um, and so we, we never tell anybody, part of this messaging is that we never tell our, our app users or anybody else, use this and you're going to get cured. One, it's just, I think, bad form and misleading and kind of sets people up for you know, expectations we can't meet. But the other is that it's, what we like to say is that curable is a journey. It is not a destination. You don't get to somewhere. You, you don't go, I'm done, I'm cured, I'm, that's it. Like, and, and I think that's the mentality of the pharma world and kind of this, some of this research stuff that you're bringing up is that there is some endpoint that after which somebody is kind of done with the intervention, done um, you know, improving and that they are, that's, that's it, it's over. Cure or no cure. When really this is, a, this is all on a spectrum and, the, and, and this is a journey and this could... Uh, help you in week one, and it could also not help you for five years, and then and then you have a, a moment of improvement. So, um, I think that's kind of important to point out as well. No, absolutely. And there's there. Oh man, there's so much. I, there's so much in there that we could probably discuss for for hours and hours and hours again because you you hit on a, a number of different really important points. Um, part of that, I, I think. So you were talking about binary research, right? It's like well, I pull this lever. And do I get X result? And if I don't, that's what the research study shows. But with pain, um, any pain, you pull one lever and there are so many other levers involved. You can't, it's, it, to trace it back to that single lever is so difficult, if not impossible. And it, and, um, and, and it, and it doesn't necessarily work that way because uh, it's different, what I would call category of awareness. And so really, really briefly, uh, if you, you can think of things in, in three different categories, you have like structural things like a broken bone that's either there or not there or it's it's whole or, or not. And then we have what I call the action category, which is like nerves. You stimulate a nerve and it shoots a response, cause and effect. But the last category and the one that we tend to underappreciate and sometimes we don't we're not even consciously aware of is what I call the experiential category, which is a constructed phenomenon of many, 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 many different inputs. So there are mm. structures in there, the broken bones. There are actions in there, so there are nerve impulses. But you can't think of that constructed experience of coming from any single variable uh, because there's so many inputs. And know what that, that does is it causes, it makes it very difficult to say that this one thing is the magic yeah. button. It yeah. also confuses things because if we use do one thing and we get a good result, we tend to say, well, it was because I took the, the magic herb from the Amazon jungle instead of saying, well, it was not just the herb. It was what someone said. It was the doctor saying it was going to, it was yeah, good for me. It right. was the friend yep. that, that, that validated me. It was the time in this moment in time. Maybe I, I had, I needed hope for something new. I was, you know, trying something different. And so, um, you know, just being aware of that category and pain being in that experiential category has multiple inputs. This, the second thing that you said that I thought is super important is when you're saying that there's, you know, you'll ne I don't see a cure for pain. And that's, that's spot on because if we understand pain, again, the, the, the kind of misconception and belief that pain equals damage, that's where people think we need cures from. But if we understand pain right. is a protector 
and is protecting us from many, many threats. There could be physical threats like broken bones, but there'd be social threats, emotional threats, traumatic threats, uh, you know, all these other potential threats. You would never, ever, ever wanted to never experience pain in your life because that is a bad right. thing. It means it's like you're you're walking, you know, driving a car with no protective devices in it that you're at constant risk of not only getting hit by a car, but having a bug smash you into the face and poke your eye out because you don't have this protective thing around you. And I and I I do think that's 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 crucial to to understand because I think there's a misnomer where people say I'm going to do something. Say I'm going to do they go with a, with a misconception of this this app, this drug, this doctor, this whoever is going to quote unquote cure me and I'm never going to experience pain. But the fact is the more that you understand pain, the less we tend to hurt. We tend to hurt for 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 less important time frames. But then when we start experiencing pain, instead of going on oh, broken and damaged, we start going, well, what are the threats in my environment? What is this exactly. what pain trying to protect me from? And then we can actually address the cause or the the, the major contributor in that you know, having that awareness that, that that major contributor may be a toxic relationship that you're in. Um, you know, it's I, I that is it's just so key to, for people to move away from this idea of curing pain and rather to appreciating mm-hmm. and understanding it and what what is trying to protect us from. So, um, man, so many good points that you just had there, John. I had to just expound on them. And, you know, we get at least an email a day from uh, somebody out there who's interested in using curable and they say, will this work? The email is, will this work for my blank, you know, and then list the diagnosis or the symptoms. And again, we don't want to mislead. So we don't say, of course it will, but, <laughs> but really that's just our style anyway. It's just be honest. And we say, I don't know, you know, <laughs> like you, you just need to try it and you'll, you'll kind of know it, it, it may or may not. And, and it's different for everybody, and um, and you kind of just have to to go start the journey, really, and, and and see where it takes you. Well, it's like it's like someone emailing you if you say you were some big bodybuilder and say, "Can I you know, will will can I lift th- uh, a thousand pounds?" It's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you probably right. you know, but I can if you start this process of training. What I can say is you're going to get stronger. And then maybe yeah, there you, exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. So, you know, a little bit less binary and more, it just like you said, it's the, it's the journey framework that it becomes key is, is being able to, to take those steps. Um, and I'm going to circle this back to the, the, our original topic, which was messaging. And the only way you're willing to take those steps is if you're being, if, if the message you hear around pain is that it is changeable, that there are things that you can do mm-hmm. for it. That there are there there are skill sets that you can learn to master, um, but if you if you don't have that message, if you're being told that your pain is, you know, you have pain pus oozing out of the de- degenerative disc disease, degeneration which doesn't change, it only gets worse. That has significant impacts on not only the pain that you're experiencing now, but the the course of your life. So. Again, uh, Can I add just one thing that I know we're kind of up on time yeah, here, yeah. but, you know, even in that message that you just communicated, there are caveats and, and areas to be delicate, delicate and, and um, in, in that we have, we have experienced this firsthand, a, a blowback, frankly, from, from certain individuals out there, where if you say what you just said, pain is changeable. Pain is not, you know, this can be change and it's about empowerment and it's about self-care. For some, what they hear is a blame. Mm -hmm. There's there's kind of this, um, there's a little blame in there saying that, so what you're saying is I could have dealt with this all along. What you're saying is I could have avoided this in the first place had I just, you know, had the skills or the tools to do so. And so there is a little implied blame, not in what you said and, and the way you communicate, which is perfectly fine. But I think it, um, we still even need to be careful with our communication when we talk about that pain can change because in, there's little um, potentially offensive landmines in there as well. So it's just, I, I guess I'm reinforcing what you're saying is that it's the message is critical, communication is critical. It doesn't work for, you know, every message, the, the same message doesn't work for everybody and, and, and so on. 
It, it, absolutely, because, um, and again, if anybody's hearing me, I'm not, you know, it's not a, a question of blame or anything like that. What it's it's, we can say one word, and the perception behind that word can have very very different messages to different people. So if I say the word, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you are responsible for your pain, and someone yeah. can hear <laughs> that right, and they can say, well, you're saying I'm to blame or whatever. And actually, we can break that down and say you are response able for your pain. So, you know, the, the, just the same word, different connotation, different perception. Behind it. One says you're to blame. The other one is saying, you know what? There are responses that I can do that I have that I can do for myself when it comes to pain. Uh, and that all comes down to the messaging that we use, which it's a tricky phenomenon. It's, uh, you know, and sometimes even when you think you got the right word, you, you may not. So, uh. absolutely, yeah, good example. <laughs> and, and of course, I wasn't you know, accusing you of bad messaging, that was, you, you, you message that, that pain is changeable as well as I've ever heard it done. And yet still there would be, you know, people who don't want to hear it. Well, and, 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 and it gets frustrating. And I think that was um, the, the other part about, and one of the difficulties with pain is there's a lot of passion, right? It is, it is. Yes. It, yeah. There's so much passion around it. And I will, I, I will definitely tell you it, it has effects on me. Uh, where I've been attacked for things that I've said, which um, it, it was obviously either a miscommunication issue or or something, or you know the way the, what I said was what something different than what other people heard, and um, it, that it, it becomes very difficult for us to kind of separate ourselves from. And from a clinician standpoint, you know, being able to step back and and to recognize that the messaging around pain is not. Again, it's it's a message. It's not saying you are a bad person, they are a bad person, whoever is a bad person, um, but because all this passion surrounding it. Not only do we have the difficulty with messaging, but then then there's a lot more conflict surrounding that message because it is such a passionate topic for. I can't think of anybody that it is not a passionate topic to because it's. <laughs> you know, and that's that's such a high hurdle for for the clinician. You know, you're saying you've been attacked for messaging. I can say that curable gets attacked for messaging on a daily basis, you know, with that kind of reach of that many mm -hmm. visitors coming to our site and, and hearing our message, there is constant feedback, if you will, on uh, word sniffing our messaging from, from consumer consumers at large. So you've been attacked, we get attacked. <laughs> and, and it's then hard to say to the clinician, not only do you need to, you know, <laughs> communicate this just so, just right for this person. But the the risk reward is like 50% of the time they're going to hear what you're saying. 50% of the time you're going to have a really contentious conversation. You know, if I were a clinician, be like, eh, I think I'll just write a script. It, yeah, it's definitely not easy. Although I would say it is um, we, we can decrease it from 50% with, the, with just – just some good reflective listening. And I would also say empathy, empathetic communication uh, can make a huge difference. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I, it was funny because back when the day when I, before I even knew anything about pain, it's, it's always funny to me. I'm, I'm a fellowship pain, pain specialist. And to say, I didn't know anything about pain after fellowship, but um, I knew at one point that, that things weren't right. Like I was like, these injections don't seem to be doing the things that we say that we're doing. And I used to have these big long conversations with um, with with my patients at the time, uh, specifically about things that I knew had harms associated with them. And I don't want to get into those now, but we would have these discussions, and they would it, there was a lot of listening on my point. And I remember them saying, "You know what? I don't agree with you, Doc, but I can see that you care." And so mm -hmm. I th I think the more we can at least it, it is not a hundred percent. It obviously is never going to be 100% when it comes to messaging, but but if you truly care and you're delivering that message from a place of caring, uh, people tend to give you a little bit more um, leeway than if they think that you're doing it for non-caring or uncaring reasons. I agree with you. And that goes back to my friend Tony delivering the original message to me was, as I, as I told you, that it started with empathy and understanding, uh, then we went into the, the meat of it. So I, I completely agree with you. Well, I think that's a, that's a great place to end this episode. And, and um, with empathy and understanding is, a, is the place that we should start from and probably the place that we should end from as well. So 
you know, John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, could you just let people know what's the best way to reach you? Sure. Yes. Thanks for the for the opportunity. Uh, you can visit Curable at www.curablehealth.com, or you can find the Curable app in Apple App Store, Google Play Store. Um, I think at this point, if you search Google for the word curable, um, we're, we get, you know, we're right up there at the top. So you can, you can find us that way too. And there's a bunch of, you know, even outside of the curable app, there's so much information we have uh, on our website. Um, we too have a podcast series called like mind, like body. Um, and that's all free and available on the site too. So even for folks who are kind of just starting off and, you know, maybe jumping into the curable app and, kind of the therapeutic side of this, um, they're not ready for that. There's a lot to learn um, that's totally accessible and free of charge um, on our site. And I will definitely have links to all those in the show notes there. And for everybody else out there, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And until next time, stay well.